really nice, sexy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to do like a, you know, ASMR like, you know, porn. I, I get I get requests for that all the time. Really? Yeah, that's a, that's the number one request I get from my strange and weird audience. They want to hear me that's because I, I read to them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, on my on my highlights, there's a bunch of so uh, those passages from books or poems, and I just I just read it, and people enjoy it. I'm I'm a, I'm a literary guy, and. The number one request from that was we would like to hear ASMR doming. So Love that. They, their, their experiences that they would like to be listening to me instruct them in some sort of, you know, like masturbation instruction or just degrading them. Hot. That sounds wow. really hot. Yeah. Oddly enough, I get those requests too, and I don't understand why. I don't know why I'm like really nervous right now. Why is it I think it's the crush. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> it probably is. I'm not gonna lie. Like, and you know, like Nikki and I like both message you. So I'm over here, and I'm I get here, and I'm like, he's probably wondering, like, who the fuck have I been talking to this entire time? Maybe you. I think. Um, it usually is me in the DMs. But yeah, I don't know. It's just making me nervous. I don't really. I don't, yeah, eye contact's really hard right now. Um, sorry. How loud am I talking? Okay, I'm normal. Okay. Um. Anyways. Okay. Welcome back, double teamed fam. How are we doing on this lovely, lovely Thursday? Um. Cami is a little nervous today because she's recording with someone that we've been wanting to record with for a very long time, and that she has a crush on. Exactly. And so here we are with John Romanello. That's correct. Okay. I was like, please don't fuck this up. Anyways. He is a New York Times bestselling author, kink educator, and he's been a dom for 15 years. So, welcome. Thank you for that that very unique introduction. <laughs> I don't think Cammy's ever openly admitted to having a crush on someone we recorded that with. That is true. I love being a first, so that's actually great for me. Wait, that actually makes me wonder, have we recorded with anyone that you had a crush on? Did you think Nick Fial was hot? I mean, he was definitely edgy. Edgy. But, not, but not my edgy. type. That's such an interesting adjective to apply to someone. So edgy in what way? I need to know. Now I we're going to talk about I, I like <laughs> I like dudes with tattoos, um, which he has. Um, sure. You have. I, um, I love up. the fingernail paint, by the way. I Thank think like so. that's the best thing a guy can do is paint his fingernails. I'm curious now. Uh, I think the best thing a guy could do is clean his fingernails. So we'll start. <laughs> the, bar, okay. the bar is so low <laughs> that... That's really, I would just like basic hygiene is what I recommend. Yeah. And then from there we can, we can work on adornment. But I, I'm with you there. Cause I don't think a lot of dudes pay attention to their fingernails and how clean they are. Or like if they've even washed their hands before they start fingering a girl. Honestly, I feel like I need to pay more attention to that. I, I someone was <coughs> fingering me the other day and I was like, Have you washed did they wash their hands? <laughs> is it, yeah. I think that one of the gifts of COVID is that it made us all more conscientious about Cleanliness. Washing, washing our hands. Yeah, I really. I used to think that I had a very poor immune system. What turned out was that I would go to the gym, and I was training at Gold's Gym over in Venice. And some of those mm. those you know machines are literally a hundred years old. They're just so old, and they've been touched by very impressive people. But I would go, and I would lift weights, and my hands would be disgusting. And then I would think I'm going to go home and shower. But a buddy would say, "Let's go get breakfast." And I would go and then have a burrito and just hold it with my hands and put it into my face. And so what COVID taught me was that I do not have a weak immune system. It was that my diet was like 8% bacteria. <laughs> and and I want to take ownership of and apologize to the, it's probably the case that I have mm. had very filthy fingers in a number of women. And I apologize. Oh. If you're listening, lady, I am sorry. You can apologize. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, both That's on my own okay. behalf and... and I'm going to raise the standard for men. And so dudes listening next time before you go finger girl, wash your hands. That actually does remind me my, my ex fiance. Sometimes we would like fuck after the gym, mm. you know, it's like a post-workout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, did we ever wash our hands? So I always, granted, I need to do make it a habit at this gym, but at my old gym, every single time my ex and I, before we left, we go wash our hands. 
and then go home and then usually have sex right at when we showered. So yeah. Yeah. On, on, on your way out of the gym feels like a good, yeah, yeah. it's a good, I mean, even if the vagina is self cleaning, you still have to, why make it work harder? Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's a great way That's to look great. at it. That's I also think, though, for ladies, I mean, did I wash my hands before I gave him a hand job? That thing's about to go inside me, and it's still like, you That's know, so, yeah. just because it's external doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve cleanliness as well. I don't know why that reminds me of the time that I had, like, eaten something spicy, <laughs> and then <laughs> I don't blew know. a guy. I'm immediately excited about this story. Go on. <laughs> Say more things. <laughs> No, I ate something spicy. I blew a guy and then he went inside me. <laughs> and I was like, oh. why does it burn? And they were like trying to piece it together. And we're like, wait, that's why. One I time. Don't do that either. Yeah. One time a guy went down on me after he had like something with jalapenos and like I could like you can feel it. And cinnamon was, toothpaste is another one. <laughs> don't brush your teeth with cinnamon toothpaste. And then, <clears throat> you know, like or the guy at least and then you get your pussy eaten up because it's not... It's not fun. Interesting. <clears throat> Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. I don't have any <laughs> any stories to contribute to this. No. I just, yeah, that was I, I used up the big one with the COVID thing, and now now other than that, I've been very very good with oral hygiene. So. <laughs> that's so good. That's, yeah. Yeah. I know. Wait, I'm curious because she did mention your nail polish. Why green? Um, I am going to a elf and fairy themed birthday party tomorrow, and so I got green <sighs> to match my my. Elf costume. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't I wait that. to see pictures. That's going to be dope. Yeah, oh, so and I see to, the, to the be, ring finger is black. Yeah, my, my party now. So to be very clear, not like Santa elves, more like nerdy Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons type. Elves. Elves. I, I wasn't thinking Santa elves at all. Just for the people out there who aren't fucking nerds, I really want to put it out there that I will not be dressed in, you know, like I'm working in Santa's workshop. Mm. So um, when you go to play parties and stuff, like mm. do you go all out when there's like a theme or... Uh, yeah, kind of I try to, it depends. Um, this, well, this is not a play party. I want to be clear. This is just a friend's birthday party. And mm-hmm. most of our, the parties that we throw as a friend group are, are themed. Most of the play parties I go to have very sort of like loose themes mm. because in the scene in New York where I am from is much less costume heavy and more sex forward. Mm. And so if it's like a, a Valentine's theme, that's sort of the biggest one of the year. There's, um, the Lonely Hearts thing. And it's a oh. lot of people dress like the, the Queen of Hearts, very Alice in Wonderland themed. Mm. But by and large, it's standard black attire. I go in a suit or a tux and, mm-hmm. and you know, undress as the night unfolds. But um, I have not been to many, many play parties that have like really intense themes. Interesting. Whereas, you know, wherever, where I live in Austin now, everything has a theme. Every party is a theme party. Actually, I wanted to ask you, because you said you've lived in New York, Los Angeles, and now you live in Austin. Have you attended play parties in all three cities? And if so, which city do you feel is like the kinkiest, the most sex positive, the most like kind of sex forward, if that makes sense? I have not yet attended a party in Austin. Uh I've had um, a little a little trouble sort of locating the scene there. Oh. And it seems to be a very swinger heavy poly scene mm-hmm. and not really like a kink driven scene. Okay. <clears throat> LA, my experience of LA, the parties that I went to were more people dressed in white, very tantric, very consciousness. And there's like, you know, you sit and everybody sets intentions when you do your consent circle. Mm-hmm. New York, because I lived there for so long and I went to many, many different parties for many organizations. I, I have the greatest level of fluency to to speak to that, but I would say that my experience, as limited as it, as it is in, in L.A., it, it it seems very clear to me that L.A. seems more connection forward, mm-hmm. and New York is very much more sex forward. Mm. They're, so they're more worried about like the the sexual piece of it, not like yeah, because the community sees it. You know, the parties are are so frequent that the community sees one another pretty frequently, mm. and. There are, there are some parties, a wonderful party called Alexandria, which happens once or twice a year, Ooh. and that's a higher-end event, and it's, it's sort of like, you know, the place to be. It's like, it's like the sex prom. It's, very, it's all black tie. It's very cool. Whereas then there are other events that happen maybe once or twice a month, and as a result, they're more casual. You see your friends there, and, you know, my favorite thing to do is bring people to parties for the first time. Yeah. I love bringing people into the community and allowing them to see what the experience of that is and, and creating comfort for them. So you don't have to play. You can just watch mm-hmm. what is the, you know, the experience that you want to have. Everything is an option. Nothing is an obligation. And really seeing people sort of have that, that light bulb moment where the things unfold in a way that they had no, no conception was possible. 
And New York has, for me, proven to be a really uh, accessible way to, to bring people in. Nice. So you have a corruption kink. I think it's an exposure kink. I think exposure it, I, th- kink. I think I think okay. I would look at it as more of like an awakening kink. I like right? that oh. term because nice. for me, the the first party I ever went to was was transformative in so many ways because mm-hmm. I spent so long struggling, particularly with monogamy, mm. but then to to go to a play space where every everyone was available for conversation about what they what they wanted and you know what were, what their setups or dynamics were you know kink notwithstanding just they're here with their partner who's fucking this other person the experience of feeling welcomed in that mm-hmm. in that space was really really profound for me and when i bring people in i'm i'm trying to help them achieve that but Sure. There's a, con- I, I suppose there's a corruption thing that can be, that can be part of it. I, call I like it my exposure. Corruption. Yeah. I was going to say, I like the term exposure more because I call it a corruption kink. Um, or at least that's what my dom's called it. And then I adopted that term, but I'm like, I could see how exposure, but I do like to corrupt people too. Sure. You know, bring them to the dark side. I'm curious what came first, non-monogamy or kink for you? Kink. Kink. Though, uh, though if I look back, I, I suppose that m- most of my relational life, there was always a struggle with monogamy. Like I always mm-hmm. felt happiest when I was in a relationship with maybe a, a person who I've now, you know, using the language I have today, considered to be my primary, and I had another person who maybe I wasn't sexually involved with. So I'd be like, you know, my high school girlfriend. And then also I had this best friend who I went to the mall with and watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer with. So anytime I had multiple emotional inputs, mm. I found myself to be the happiest. And it wasn't until many years later that I would, I would look back over the landscape and sort of try to piece apart and audit what had made me the happiest. But in terms of something that I had direct language for, it was kink. I was, I was 25 and I started dating a woman who, after about three or four weeks of dating, revealed to me that she was a sex worker. She was a professional dom, Oh, oh. which was very exciting. Yeah. I, I, at that time, my entire experience of what that meant was based on movies and media, yeah. which mm. you know, this is now 15 years ago. There was not much at the time. And I, I think the impression I had was that dominatrixes in New York City were primarily finding men in positions of power and a lot of wealth who were masters of the universe in, in their lives and needed a place that they could be submissive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of CEOs, et cetera. And, and that certainly exists. But, uh, you know, obviously kink presentation is is pretty uniform regardless of where in your life you happen to be in terms of your your, your career. And this woman was excited about meeting me because she felt energetically based on on the experience we'd had at that point she felt I would be a very good dom mm-hmm. and I I'd, I'd never had any experience with that but I <clears throat> I quickly realized this is what I've always wanted this is what I've always sort of needed and and it, that was like built into the way that I was having sex prior to that like with all of my all of my partners previously I had a thing where I'd always ask people to like to beg, you know, beg me to fuck you, beg for my cock. Ooh. Part of that was like was was power exchange, but a lot of it was just actively checking in that you're you're sure you're, you know if somebody's begging for something, you can yeah. be pretty mm. clear they want it. Consent, and, and yeah. just like checking in around <laughs> consent, and so yeah, moving into in, into sort of a kink dynamic, the 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 greatest gift that I got was the, the upfront consultation and mm. just being in a very open discussion about the things you're here for the things you don't want and 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 collecting all of that mm-hmm. information what turns you on I'll, yeah and then nice. from there executing that and now even today 15 years later as a as a dom who is often with multiple partners that's my favorite part like that upfront consultation where i really get to know everyone and, and collect everything and then based on everyone's different interests and their the, the things they want to achieve most i have this information that I, I pull from and I, I get to carry it around in my head and I'm a scene director in that way. And for me, mm-hmm. going back to my nerdy high school days, it feels very much like Dungeons and Dragons, like being mm-hmm. being the dungeon master and be like, okay, you're you're an elven ranger and so you're good at, and creating something that allows everybody to showcase their skills and get their needs met and people come in with a very specific thing or a list of specific things they'd like to experience within the context of two men or three women or whatever it is and making sure that we check as many of those off while maintaining fluidity. That's really fun for me. I like it. Yeah. So, so she didn't. I was like following the thought pattern. I was like, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yep. Yeah, but I think it's <laughs> phenomenal. And I, I love that she was kind of the one that like 
I always say, you know, women are usually the ones that help men discover <coughs> themselves. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I think it's true. But she didn't try to go like the submissive route because she was a dominant. Was she, she was a, a dominant. She, uh, yes. So okay, she, so she, she was, was willing to submit to you. Okay. She was looking. She identified as a switch but had not her experience, and this has been the experience of many femdoms that I've met, I look at I look at it as like a scale of one to a hundred, mm-hmm. right? Of like where you are on the dominant scale. Some people are 20, some people are a hundred. And her natural energy reading was at like an 85. Oh, wow. Very naturally dominant person. Yeah. And so she would meet men and she would find men and they and and look for them. You know, they would say in on FetLife that they were doms, and then they'd be at a 75, which is still very dominant. Mm-hmm. But her natural dominant energy was higher, was higher than theirs. Yeah. And so she had trouble submitting to them. She had trouble giving mm-hmm. up that power. Other times she would meet men who said they were doms, but it was like a 40. And then she would meet them and they would just roll over and want to be subs. Mm-hmm. And so when we met, I she expressed that she was a dom. And I asked, is that something you're interested in? you want me to be submissive to you? I don't think I'd be interested. And she said, John, you are a lot of things, but you are not a sub. (laughs) So my natural dominant energy is, is very high. I like protocol. I I'm, I'm very high protocol. I like being in charge. I Mm -hmm. like structure. And although I did not, I was not aware of my sexual trauma at the time, I wouldn't discover those memories until many years later. It's very clear to me that my, um, you know, my template, you know, is, is influenced in some way by having my first uh, sexual experiences be violatory and, and not being in control. And so the mm. idea of being submissive and not having that level of, of safety, would, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it's unappealing to me. Nice. I love that, you know, A, this is a great segue into what I actually wanted to talk about. But <clears throat> also, it reminds me, I'm switchy. I definitely find it very hard to, ever since I've been with my most recent male dom, I find it very hard to submit to men because I, I sense my dominant energy and almost always, like with other men, I'm like, I have a higher energy than mm-hmm. you. So then, so then I, I just, it's very hard to submit to anyone. Really, the only person that I do it with is my male dom because he is similar to you, very dominant, like very much in a in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. He's also a professional um, dom and and, and <coughs> is really good on like the kink education side and everything. So it is hard for I think female doms to find men that are more dominant. And I don't know. I mean. I don't know necessarily like what what it really boils down to. Obviously, you know, both sexes have issues that we're working with, you know, from a societal level. But I guess kind of what I wanted to to segue that into is kind of like how you came into because I, I look at you and I see someone that has a very healthy masculinity, a very like healthy relationship with their ego in your Q&A's and the way that you interact with people and the advice that you give. I see that and I see someone that like is very in tune with themselves, with their masculinity, with the energies within them, even their femininity. You know, so and I think that that's one of the key aspects to being a good dom is is finding that within yourself. And so I'm curious kind of what that journey looked like for you, you know, kind of how you how you came to be to kind of that self-aware place of of those things within you, if that makes sense. Thank you. (laughs) And that is a tremendously broad question. I'd love to have this conversation. It would be very helpful for me if maybe you could ask something a little more specific as a jumping off point. I love that because it is a very broad, I guess my first question would be like, what is healthy masculinity to you? Like what, what does that definition look like in your eyes? I, so I spend a lot of time in the the consciousness community mm-hmm. and people talk about masculine and feminine energy, mm-hmm. which are the same words, but they, they express different concepts from masculinity and femininity. So when we're in the consciousness space and people are talking about masculine energy, it's essentially something active, something structured, whereas mm-hmm. feminine energy is is more fluid. And so it's the difference between like yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Um, so the problem with English is that when we use those same words and we're talking about different things, a lot of that gets brought over. And so when we're looking at healthy masculinity within men, what we're really looking at are ways that a, a man can take on the the notions of what it means to be manly and and, mm-hmm. and we'll use masculine without being problematic, right? How can mm-hmm. you be, how can you be strong without being violent? How can you be uh, how can you have fortitude without being stubborn? How can you have resilience with while at the same time having uh, 
being self-aware, having, being willing to be incisive and insightful into yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so the languaging gets a little confusing. So when we talk about healthy masculinity, I, I think that really what we're looking at is what does it mean to not be a complete asshole? Yeah. And, yeah. It, and that's, it, it is, it yep. is such a low bar, right? Uh, because I, I don't want to confuse what it means to be a man with any of that. Like there are no necessarily like there are no skills that are mm-hmm. endemic mm-hmm. to manhood, right? I don't think that a man needs to know how to fix a car. I don't think or change a tire. I, I look at things from capability. Like if you own a car, you should know how to change a tire, regardless of your gender identity or or your sexual identity. I don't think that sewing is inherently feminine. I think that if you have clothes with buttons on them, it behooves you to know how to reattach one. I think that cooking is a basic human act to feed yourself, which is a functional necessity. So trying to separate out what it means to be a man from all of these things that we've been force-fed about what men do. So the real the real trick for me is always not like if we could ignore what the beha- what the acts the the hobbies the services are like you know because w- women can like football and beer and guns too. Mm-hmm. If we separate out like the actions that a man takes in the daily course of being a man, what's left is the conceptual understanding of like how to just be happy with yourself without other other people's idea of what it what behaviors you're doing or not doing affecting you. Mm. So there's a, a really great quote that says a man is a, a man if he wakes up in the morning and goes to bed at night and in between does what he wants. Mm. And I tend to believe that a healthy masculine person is someone who is active in trying to achieve their goals, is actively contributing to their community in some way and finds all of the places that they can be harmful Mm. and works at, if not eradicating them, then addressing them. Mm -hmm. Growing up under patriarchy with all of the privilege that I have, it, it, it doesn't necessitate that I do any of this work. Mm -hmm. I can just, I can just like things are, I could just accept the status quo and say things are fine. I can be an asshole. I can, I can accept that people uh, in marginalized positions are going to make less money than me and think that it doesn't affect me negatively. So it's fine. And I think that what it means for me to be a healthy masculine person is to acknowledge my privilege and to actively become aware of the ways that by dint of having been born where and how and who I am, mm-hmm. other people are endangered by me mm-hmm. and then work to make them safe. I love that. You should procreate. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and raise them with these values. No, I, I, I think that's how like people should, should look at life and themselves and, you know, remove all of the things that, you know, you should be and, you know, masculine and feminine and gendered and all of those things, like remove all of that and instead like figure out how to interact with society in a way that like you make others feel safe and you make others feel accepted and loved and and the same for yourself and like creating those environments rather than like, oh, I'm fine the way I am accepting it. And then just like, you know, you go out there and harm a bunch of people and, you know, but the thing is people do it unintentionally, you know? Right. And Mm -hmm. sometimes Because of privilege, you know, often. Well, it's also, sometimes it's, it's necessity, right? I have the advantage of having been born in New York I grew mm-hmm. up just outside of New York City, and I am from a liberal family. My parents went to Woodstock. Oh, my, nice. <laughs> my, you know, my, two of my uncles are gay. And so I grew up in an area where, you know, my, my family is black, Jewish, gay, Italian, Polish, yeah. you know. So my liberalism and my progressivism, it, it comes fairly easily to me, and embodying it is not dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are a you know, a good old boy somewhere in Idaho trying to do this work. Like I have the, I have the option to, to paint my nails the way that I do. I have the option to dye my hair because I am in geographically, I'm in a location where those things, they might be a little strange for some people, for a, you know, a, a straight presenting man to do that. Although certainly less so now, but I have a, le- I have access to a level of self-expression Mm-hmm. That allows me, and through that self-expression, allows me a level of um, self-analysis that I think geographically is harder 
for, for some people. Right? To, if you start breaking away from those conservative norms of behavior, you can get ostracized. You can, it's the same thing with breaking away from religious ideology, right? Mm-hmm. You get excommunicated. So if you are a person who grows up in a certain place and you start fighting for trans rights or you start acknowledging your privilege or you start trying to, you know, maybe acknowledge that rape culture exists publicly, then you're now you're fighting back against not just the, the, the cultural programming you have, but against the people who are enforcing it. Mm-hmm. And everybody has to do that work. I just want to acknowledge that it's it's probably a little bit easier for me because of where I'm from than other people. But I mean, I was going to say to that, yeah. like, it, it does suck that sometimes, like, you know, for people who do want to do the work, but they're in a location where, like, if they start doing that, if they do, like, you know, want to express themselves in a certain way, then everyone around them is just going to be like, no, you're you're wrong. Right. And so yeah. that's that, true. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. And obviously, you can, you, have, you, know, you can leave that environment or you, you but finding community is something it's I work with. It's a hard with. part, yeah. It's a hard part. It's something I work with people yeah. all the time. And, and I am very, very lucky. I've been very intentional about building my community. I have, you know, we have this group of like 40 friends who all fucking love each other. We travel the world together and everybody's best friends with everybody. And it's mm-hmm. so crazy that we've built this in three years. And people ask us all the time, how did you do this? And we say intentionally. But it started with getting a couple of people together and being vulnerable enough to say, like, I, I, I need friends who are going to help me be a better man. I, I want people who, like, you know, I want sex partners who are going to call me up into a higher version of myself. I want, I want friends who I can talk to about anything. I want people who are going to accept me. And then building off of that. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply we also have the advantage of you know, I, my, my fiance and I both have platforms and so we have mm-hmm. access and, yeah. and, 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 but community is, is the thing we get asked about most. But I love that. I mean, it seems like, you know, within your community and yourself, like just the level of self-awareness, you know, cause kind of backtracking to, to that topic of, you know, people don't really realize that they have to do any work sometimes is because, you know, I was thinking about it. I said this one to once to my ex-husband, he's a phenomenal man. And I think, I think the world of him at least, but he was raised, you know, in a good family, in a good home. And he was raised to be a kind person. And he was, and he, you know, he had a liberal household. So, you know, I loved where his values were and everything. But like, I almost, you know, there were times where I'm like, there's almost when you grow up in kind of those environments, a naivety to it where you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm a good person. I'm doing yeah. I'm doing the things that society says I should do. Check the box of like, you know, owning a house and contributing to capitalism and, you know, <laughs> buy, or, you know, marrying someone and being monogamous and like all these things. And so people often, you know, when they are good people, you know, or at least like fairly good and, and in raising good environments and everything, they don't they never like really think like, oh. Well, let's look inward and find some of those other areas that maybe need a little bit more self-awareness. Find those other areas that, you know, I could do some work on to, to better interact with certain groups. And like I've even fallen uh, victim to that as well. And it, is victim the right word? I've fallen prey. Mm, prey, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To where like I also, you know, sometimes forget mm-hmm. about certain like the way that I interact with people and, and, and not being cognizant of of how I interact with them and, and how to how to create a safe space when they do interact with me. So yeah. I think it's on everyone to, you know, no matter how you were raised, no matter how you were, you know, brought up in the world or the environment around you to always like look inward right. and find how you can, how you can not fix the pieces, but, you know, put in the work to ensure that you're always, you know, yeah. creating as best of an environment around yourself and around others as you can. Absolutely. Like, oh, I was going to say, it's like when I told my mom when uh, I started therapy, you know, earlier this year. And she was like, why? And I was like, mom, oh, wow. I don't know how to process my emotions. I'm, you know, I get, I form attachments pretty easily and then I get codependent and sometimes I don't know how to say what I feel. So yeah, I need to go to therapy. That yeah. Normally learning those three things would have taken the first two years of therapy. So you're ahead of the game. Well, I mean, it took me eight years to figure it out. And then I was like, well, you know what? I need therapy. So, mm. you know, and for, you know, my mom to be like, well, why do you need it? I was like, don't be naive, mama. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. People all the time, they're like, oh, you're fine. Like, you know, 
grew up in a nice family, grew up in like you're right. fine, but really like everyone's got a lot of work to do inwardly. What I find very interesting is seeing the split between internal and external. I'll use my fiance Amanda as a mm-hmm. as an example. She grew up lovely family, no trauma, no te- no capital T trauma, but mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. family, no struggles with poverty. Her parents got divorced, but they're amicable. They're just great people. They're they're super lovely. Mm-hmm. She had friends. She was popular. She's pretty. Mm-hmm. She is smart. She went to school and, you know, with her twin sister and got a degree. And Wait, she's a twin? I forget. She's Amanda a has a twin sister. Yeah. Oh They're not God. identical. I didn't know that. And Sorry. then she, you know, went out to, to California and found herself doing, uh, you know, like the online fitness thing. And it, and it just went really well. And, and she, mm-hmm. you know, things, not, not to say that she didn't work, but she had a number of, of successes. And that allowed her to have a starting block way further ahead than, than people who have a lot of childhood trauma. So Mm -hmm. when she started diving into her self work and you know, she went to a, um, a program to get certified in spiritual psychology and got very, very deep in, in her, in her, in her work, she didn't really think to look outside and then 2020 happened and COVID happened. And there was this group of very spiritual, very privileged, very conscious, wealthy white women. And what I saw was all of these people immediately just defaulted to the belief that if every one of us just did the inner work and healed, all of these problems would go away. Mm-hmm. And that's fundamentally, I mean, it, it, it's a bankrupt idea, but it, it's also fundamentally not true. Ooh. Because the truth is, Everybody doing the inner work doesn't solve institutional racism. It doesn't solve Mm -hmm. redlining. And so what was so interesting to me was that there was a group of individuals who understood the value of healing, but couldn't accept that they, they were, there were places where they were part of the problem. Mm. And it was really cool to see Amanda, you know, blossom and become aware and then start doing external work and trying to create safer spaces Mm -hmm. for the people around her and, and just being more aware of her privilege as opposed to this belief that we can all we all just heal ourselves and then everything's fixed. I love that. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it either, honestly, until you brought it up. Because it's true, you know, even if we did all do the work, it doesn't mean that, you know, as a collective, it would solve everything. There was a duality. It would be a start. It would be a start if everyone did, it's, but at the same time, it's like... It's better than not, yeah. certainly, right? Yeah. But there's, the, the thing is, there's all of these privileged white people okay. who just keep investing in themselves and doing mm-hmm. courses and coaching, et cetera not investing in any of their time and dismantling, you know, or, or, or campaigning or, or doing anything progressive. And uh, we don't have to turn this into a woke wank fest, but the, <laughs> the, that is, that, that shows up in a yeah. lot of the way that I do education in you know, mm-hmm. helping people see their privilege, whatever it is. And, and that starts with men because I am for wh- whether it was intentional or not, by virtue of having a platform, I am in a strange position of assumed authority mm-hmm. and there are a lot of men who view me as as uh, a teacher of, of a sort and I have a responsibility to them to make them aware of their privilege because if you're going to enter into power exchange mm-hmm. and 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 work through scenes where there is sometimes violence where there is restraint where there is you know this um you know, it can be very intense sexuality mm-hmm. not being aware of those things I think makes you not not overly dangerous, but it can make you careless. Mm-hmm. I'm curious where you start with them. Like where? Safety. Safety. So I, I find that trying to engage with someone and mentor them philosophically mm-hmm. doesn't work. Yeah. Right? It's really difficult to reason a person out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. Okay. And so if hmm. I'm talking to a, a man who wants to be a dom, I don't know that it's ever going to be helpful for me to sit them down and teach them about their privilege. So I start with mm-hmm. mechanics. And I teach them these are the these are all the questions you ask a hundred percent of the time. These are the things you absolutely do not do. Like this is how you manage consent if you're gonna consume substances, because these are some things that have happened. And just teaching them the mechanics, and then once they're executing on that, teaching them maybe strategy of how to how to find people and create safety for people in groups. And then eventually you can work your way up the concept. But just teaching people how to be safe. The benefit there is even if I never get to the point where I can affect what's going on in their mind, at least there's someone in the world who isn't going to fuck anybody up Mm -hmm. or is less likely. And we're all going to make mistakes. Every Dom makes mistakes. It's like dancing. You're going to step on somebody's toes eventually. Everybody has oopsies and ouchies to quote my friends, Kimmy Inch and Casey Neal. But as long as we are 
doing our best to be cognizant and, and be reparative about it, you know, that's the, that's the important thing. And, that, and that's the first skill to understand that you are, you will make a mistake. You are in a position of power and you immediately have to take as much responsibility and accountability for it as possible. Nice. I love that. I think, I think that's why people assume authority, like, or you as the authoritative figure, because I feel like even in like your Q and A's, a lot of the times it's like you would address something if maybe you don't know how to speak on it or, you know, you messed it up before. Yeah. Like you, you go about it in like every round, like whole rounded way. So thank you. I appreciate that. That's why I like your Q and A's. Yeah. And I think, I mean, authority, you know, so I'm like, well, he knows what he's talking about and he's saying everything. So, <laughs> well, and I mean, I think if you like, you know, I think we said this in another episode, you know, if you show people vulnerability, then they're more willing to be vulnerable with you. Certainly. So then by you being like, Hey, I made a mistake once like this is how you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. You know, then they're like, Oh, you know, it's okay to make mistakes because he made one and he right. talked to me about it. And now like, I'm cool with it. So then, the, you know, that's how you can move forward. Do you do any like, you know, I know you do kind of a lot of like kink education, mm. non-monogamy education as well or no? Yeah, I, through my, through my platform, I, I talk about it a lot. I don't have any, uh, structured courses or, mm. um, or webinars on that, but it comes up all the time. My, my fiance and I are in a very public non-monogamous setup and it, the non-monogamy dovetails with kink because, mm -hmm. um, at least at this point in my life, I, I don't, I'm not doing a lot of dating external of my relationship, um, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth for at the moment for another romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. And so most of my outside relationships are structured DS dynamics. Gotcha. Mm. So I'll have another sub or other subs. And so the driver of that relationship is the, is the kink element. And we're, we're certainly friends, but we're, we're not dating. You know, there's no, there's not necessarily romance and there's not progression there. So to, to be talking about one is to talk about the other mm -hmm. based on how my life is, is set up. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, also non-monogamy, that's another one where, you know, I think if, you're going to enter a non-monogamous space as a man. That's another area where you're going to need to have like, you know, a healthy masculinity or a good relationship with your ego as you go into it. Yeah. You know, all the time you see people that enter non-monogamy and it, I, you know, I always say it's, it brings out all your like insecurities, mm -hmm. everything. Like it just opens the curtains completely. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. I, I think that non-monogamy is so helpful for men. Oh yeah. Because you don't realize how much insecurity you're carrying around. You get to pretend that you're safe in a monogamous container because mm -hmm. you, 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 you don't have to remove, face it. You remove all of this comparative anxiety that exists when you're just a man navigating the world. You know, the thing that all of these people who identify as incels face, right? They look at, at good looking men and they have immediate anxiety about this Chad who can, quote, get a, any woman he wants, et cetera. And once you're in the, in, you know, in, in the safety, in the cocoon of a person who is choosing you day after day, you lose touch with what that anxiety was like. And in, in, I, I think that's really a, a negative thing because it, mm -hmm. it, the more often you, you touch on your insecurities and begin to work through them, the better partner you become. Mm -hmm. And within a non-monogamous container, you, especially if you're a straight guy and you're, you're not interested in other men and now there's another person, it, it just, what happens, especially early on is it comes up is this, fuck okay now I have to rate myself against in, this guy in yeah. this guy and like where what categories am I better than him okay like all right so he is he taller than me is he younger than me does he have a bigger dick than me does he make more money than me is he is he smarter than me and like you know you you do this thing this calculus with yourself threat, yeah, yeah the, to just be like well why, why would she why would she stay mm -hmm. with me and the answer is because you've built a life together and you're safe and, and you're you know and, and and the question that I was asking myself is this other woman that I'm bringing in, like, do I, do I look at her like that? Am I comparing her to Amanda and mm -hmm. be like, does she have a bigger ass? Does she have bigger tits? Is her, does she suck dick? But no, of course not. That would be a crazy thing that you only do to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that early on was very interesting for me to sort of confront and work through this. Uh, the very first time I was in a scene with another guy, um, a partner of mine were playing with this couple and, mm. and they're, they're fantastic. And it was just, I had all of this anxiety prior, but in the scene, it was all gone. There was no moment where I thought, is she, you know, going to choose him because of whatever it is I perceive as, you know, because his apartment on the Upper West Side is really dope, you know? <laughs> yeah. which is, which is a New York thing to, to, yeah, be, yeah, yeah. to have things, you know, it's like apartment anxiety. Um, 
And instead, I, I felt compersion, but really mm. I just felt like curiosity. Uh, I, it was, there's such an interesting experience because I, we were, at one point we were on a break, you know, a little break in the action and we're all splayed out. You know, it's a New York City apartment, so the bedroom was small, so we were playing in the living room on blankets and stuff and we're drinking water and I look over and my partner is laying with her head on this guy's chest and twirling her fingernails in his chest hair and something inside me was like, what? And I, and I had this conversation with myself. I was like, I just watched him rail her (laughs) for 30 minutes. And I was like, Oh, cool dude. But that strangely intimate chest hair. So I, I made the decision. I brought it into the space and I'm going to call this out. And I said, Hey, like, don't stop what you're doing. I just want to acknowledge that I'm having a, a, a feeling about that. And also I'm laughing at myself for that being somehow worse than the the pounding you gave her. Mm-hmm. And but at the moment when when I looked across the room and you know he was fucking her, I was also balls deep in his fiance. So there's <laughs> like a, a strange sort of equality that yeah. happens. And, but more and more I I talk to men who are are really anxious that like I don't want my my woman to be with other men. And the more I, I dive into it, it, it comes down to anxiety, to feeling mm-hmm. insecure and uncertain and on some, some level having to confront that if you, if you broke down men, all men, into 25 categories. That's a lot of categories. Some, every, every single man in the world would rate higher than you on at least one. Mm-hmm. Se- yeah. um, sometimes several. And then you have to acknowledge like, I'm a person, not a conglomerate of statistics. I'm not mm-hmm. a D&D character. Yeah. And they're not going to leave me because this guy has better lats mm-hmm. or, or better abs or yeah. is, you know, or is taller or has a bigger dick or whatever it is. And if it does happen, it probably wasn't like because of that scene. Mm-hmm. You know, there was something else amiss. And I think for men... You're probably reading their needs in some way. Yeah. yeah. Just... Being, being confronted in a safe space with the fact that you don't realize it, but subconsciously you're constantly feeling insecure around other men. Yeah. And, and just, but being with another man in that space who is talking to you and you're like, oh, he's not a threat. This is my teammate. And it, it, it's been tremendously healing for me. I love that. It, it randomly reminded me of, um, you know, the other day, I recently, I, I'd, I've spent time with three of my male partners, um, <clears throat> which really have me missing women. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, they're all so different and, mm-hmm. and my connections with them are all very different. And but I, I just remember I had this moment I was sitting in my car and I'm like, I don't know how I could ever be monogamous again, because like I love what each of them bring to the mm-hmm. table in so many different ways. And I'm like, I hope that that's like how, you know, in the future, in my non-monogamous relationships, like I would want them to look at me the same way, mm-hmm. like look at their other partners and myself and be like, I, you know, love these women for different reasons because of the different things that they bring to the table. Right. And so like, I'm able to appreciate more each one of them for their individuality because they're all so different from the other. And because they bring something new and exciting and different for me when I spend time with them. Yeah. So, but I, but I understand like for men, you know, it's hard to kind of get to that point. It's hard to to conceptualize that and, and because of the anxiety, the insecurity, you know, the fear of abandonment, all of those things kind of like coming together for that. Um, it takes time to get there, you know? And so I think you're a great example of, well, thank you you. Know, of a lot of things, obviously. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't like that, you know, there's benchmarks like that. Yeah. Know, yeah. Right. To, you know, tell us like what it makes a person valuable. I was having a conversation with my ex partner that we're currently um, separating we were having a conversation. He was like, he was like, well, at least, you know, think of the things that I've brought you, <laughs> like the valuable things. And I was oh. like, and I was like, my guy, look, mm-hmm. those things are great. Like, yeah, I'm glad you brought me these resources or these people into my life. Like, yes, I'm very happy about that. But that's not the reason why right. I was with you and why I was happy being with you. This speaks to the way that we culturally are taught to assess the value of individuals and men, and we'll talk about men, but resources, resources. Right. Mm. And so from the the moment that a man is born, there is Mm. this 
cultural and also community programming. Like I was from a very young age, I, I showed signs of very high intelligence. And so like my mother got obsessed with that. You have to go to the best school possible and you have to be a doctor and everything men, men, this is, I think, true for all women, particularly for all people in America, women as well. But for men in particular, we grow up in a culture of achievement mm-hmm. and achievement brings you value. And the more achievements you have, these stack on one another. So you have to like, even in high school, you know, you drive the right car and if you're the right group, now you have a type of social capital that allows you access to cool parties, it allows you access to things. And we, we just bring this out into our lives. Money gives us access, connections gives us, give us access, and there's a lot of evolutionary biological stuff that makes the, us view that through the lens of mating suitability. Mm-hmm. Am yeah. I am yep. the, everything that I do, all the things that I achieve, all the things that I have, the, the cool car? Like, why does anybody really give a shit what car they drive? Unless you're a real gearhead and you love cars, mm-hmm. why does a person who doesn't give a shit about cars need to be driving a BMW? Because it's a social signifier that you make a lot of money, which improves the mating suitability. Mm-hmm. And, and you can potentially have more or better sexual partners. And detaching from that is is really challenging. I have a friend who went, he was uh, in, a, in a poly relationship and meeting his, they were it was his fiance at the time, so meeting his meta, his fiance's boyfriend, mm-hmm. was so challenging for him because he could not, wrap his head around it. He's like, I'm taller than this guy. I'm better looking than this guy. Like this guy, you know, my, my friend, very successful dude. Mm -hmm. And this other guy was like, just kind of coasting and he couldn't understand what his partner saw in him. him. So on the one hand, he was very safe because he's better in all these categories. But on the other hand, he was confronted with the fact that none of those things ultimately matter. It's the way someone treats you. It's what they inspire in you. It's the way your heart calls to them. And I always go back to this beautiful gift Amanda gave me. She asked me a question early in our relationship when we were, when she, it was her first poly relationship, is her first poly relationship. And she was wrapping her head around how to execute practically mm-hmm. and listening to uh, me talk about dates and trying to figure out how much disclosure did she want. And she asked this beautiful question that I give to everyone now. And she said, what part of yourself do you get to meet when you're with that person? <gasps> And that, that to me oh, that. is such a profound way to look at external relationships, to look at poly relationships. As, mm-hmm. as you said about your three yeah. male partners, they all bring they something, all bring different, something yeah. different to the, to, to your life, yeah. not to the table, to the table feels like valuables, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? They all bring something different to your life, which means they all bring something different out of you. Yeah. And the ultimate thing that we fall in love with when we fall in love with people is how we feel when we're with them. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. My favorite thing about my relationship with Amanda is the person I get to be in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, it's kind of similar to, and I remember reading this somewhere, you know, it's like when, when you're with certain <laughs> friends, they bring out a certain side of you. Yeah. Like I have some friends that I get real serious with. I have some friends that like, you know, I get real playful and, you know, I don't want to say childish, but maybe that's the word. Childlike. Yeah. Childlike with, you know, and then uh, yeah, I have other friends that like, it's just my friends inspired different things, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. with me. And so like same with my partners. You know, so I, I do think that's like the beauty of, you know, polyamory and on monogamy kink as well, mm-hmm. you know, because oh, even in your dynamics, like I have some partners that bring out that dom side in me. I have yeah. some that bring out the submissive. And so like getting to explore all of that and getting to like a healthy place of like understanding like your energy with that person and how you interact mm-hmm. and how it's like so different and so unique and special from others. And so like gaining, like, I remember when, when I, when I had that moment the other day, like I had such a moment of gratitude. I remember I went and journaled about it. I'm like, I am so thankful that I get to spend time with like these men in different ways. Mm -hmm. And they bring out these different sides of me and I get to experience different things with them. Like I was so grateful that I had that experience and, and that I was like able to like allow myself like, you know, that freedom and put myself in a space where I can enjoy that. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that's, I think everyone should do that, but you know, whatever to each their own. So, <laughs> I I think I, I don't try to sell non-monogamy to people. I I just want people to stop thinking that monogamy is compulsory. I'm the and same way. Yeah, yeah. Thing. I just think everyone should expand their minds and like just you yeah, know have an shot. opportunity to to see like what every, you know everything that the world can offer. Right. I'm just a big pro, you know, non-monogamy kind of person. That's okay. I I support <laughs> you in that. Yeah. On our flight out here, Amanda. And I were talking about my sub and Amanda just had this moment of real gratitude. And, and she just said, I am 
so happy just to be poly and kinky. It is such a relief mm-hmm. that I don't have to be everything to you. Mm-hmm. That you get to to have this different type of dynamic with that person. Yeah. And Amanda's very, you know, our our Amanda's princess. And <laughs> our, our dynamic is very pleasure focused for it, but it's very soft. It's very sensual. And Love you that. know, you know, I'm I'm not a sadist, but like in terms of like on the spanking scale of one to ten, if we go above a four, that is like limit. Yeah. So there's uh. a lot of dom expression that does not really happen in that container. And then I have other subs who are psychos, and that's <laughs> you know we have we have we like push the the limits of of filth, and Good that's a, oh, that's great stuff. That's and it. yeah, it's super gross. And like, no, I love it. It's, yeah, no, it's that's not gross no, at all. I, no, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm using gross as a as a very positive as a good, adjective. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, like I'm that's with you. I'm with my, you. My whole thing is when I'm I like to ask in any situation, I'm like, how do we make this like 10 percent more fucked up? <laughs> like, that's that's where I want to be. <laughs> and um and and that's not Amanda, you know. And and so experiencing that elsewhere, and and having the joy of doing that, and then being able to to bring it back and talk if if that's what she wants. Love great. that. Phenomenal. Yeah. Well, we're so out of time. So to all of our okay. men out there, just remember, your value comes from you. No, it does. It comes it from really you as a does. person. No. I hope everyone, you know, can t- can take that away from this. But anyways, we are out of time because we're at the studio. Yeah, and I can I see like, Joseph. I, that hour flew by. <laughs> Joseph, yeah, I know. So we're going to have to do a part two. Next time you come to LA, can we record again? Absolutely. Perfect. Yay. Um, well, if you want to plug yourself, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram. It's <laughs> just my name, at John Romanello. And, um, yeah, just do that. You could like, I have a website where I like send emails about marketing and shit. If you're Mm -hmm. interested in like learning stuff, you could do that, but just go to Instagram and follow and hang out and ask questions on the Q and A's. Awesome. I love reading your Q and A's a, because some of those stories are wild (laughs) and, or, you know, like the tea is just so good. Um, and then sometimes your response. I know some of them are so like or like to the point or crass. I'm like I, I feel love like, them. Though. Yeah, people were like expecting like a softness or something, and instead you're like no or like whatever, <laughs> like flat out like deadpan. I love it. So keep yeah. them on their toes. Yes, yes. thank you again Much for joining respect. us. Much respect. But yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in. Sorry I didn't talk a lot. I was nervous. Um, are you still nervous? <laughs> yes. Right, so. so I can you, sense yeah, it. Thanks for tuning. Please go to DoubleTeamPodcast.com. Okay. Sign up for the live show. We love you. Wear condoms. Okay. Oh, yeah. We have a live show coming up. When is that? October 20th. I really was nervous the whole time. I was like, I'm going to talk. I'm going to say something bad. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 